We continue on in our James series. And as we're preparing this morning, there's a video clip I have here of a very famous preacher who's a little bit older than I am. His name is Charles Stanley. And uh, I just love this clip and what he has to say in regards to wisdom. And I think this is an excellent setup for where we're going to be going today. So would you draw your attention here to the screen as we hear from Charles Stanley? Think about the kind of life that you're living. Would you say that the decisions that you're making are wise or unwise? I think about people who never consider the will of God for their life. They make decisions based on what they want, how they feel, what makes them feel good, or what other people think, and never asking, what's the will of the Father? Unwise. Unwise decision. And we could go through life thinking about all the decisions that people make. For example, they stack up credit on their credit cards to the point that they know they can't make the payments. Why do they do that? Unwise decisions. People make unwise decisions because they leave out the most important thing in their life, and that is the wisdom of Almighty God. What place does God have in your decision-making process? Are you going to live it on your own, or are you going to be wise enough to seek the wisdom of God before you make any decision? So let me put it this way right up front. Before you make any decision, you should always ask this question. Is this, is this the wisest thing to do? There's always an answer. Is this the wisest thing to do? Whether it's marriage, or whether it's something financial, or health, or whatever it might be. Is this the wisest thing to do? That's always the right question. Whether it's major or minor, is this the wisest thing to do? Somebody says, well, I don't know what wisdom is. We'll come into that. But living wisely is the best life. Wisdom is a gift from God. Living unwisely is a very expensive lifestyle to every aspect of our life. All right. That's a great setup. I appreciate him joining me this morning. And... Um, I think those are some thought-provoking things. And when you consider his question, whatever we do, is this the wisest thing that I could be doing? I think that's an excellent question for us as we evaluate our decisions along our life journey. And so this passage in James today is going to be addressing wisdom. And there's two kinds of wisdom we'll be breaking down here in a moment. But before we get into this, I believe this is God's Word. He speaks to us through His Word. And so I'm just going to ask right now that we would take a moment in prayer and ask the Lord to settle our hearts in preparation to receive His Word today. So would you pray with me as we get ready to begin? Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time together to gather around Your Word. You speak into our hearts. You speak into our lives through Your Word. And I ask, Lord, by Your Spirit, You would reveal to us ways that we can grow in Christ. Lord, use this time in powerful ways. May Your Spirit guide us and lead us, help us to be in a place to receive and also respond to You. Please settle our hearts, settle this place, 
and may our focus be on you. Be with our children ministry, and Lord, for each of those kids, I pray that the seed of the Word of God would be planted in their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for that ministry. Bless their time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, starting here in verse 13 in regards to wisdom. Let's read together. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, it is gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds, and it shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This particular passage, James emphasizes that there's really two kinds of wisdom. The two kinds of wisdom are worldly and godly. And worldly wisdom is described as earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. So it's earthly, it corrupts what is holy and, and what is spiritual, and it's unspiritual or it's sensual. Some translations say sensual, meaning it's from the flesh and not the Holy Spirit. So earthly wisdom is unspiritual, and then it's also of the devil, inspired by demons. And so when we talk about worldly wisdom, other ways you can think about this is human wisdom, it's man's wisdom, it's maybe even the wisdom that Satan presents. And then on the other side is simply God's wisdom. And James says it's pure, and it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial, and it's sincere. Completely different from worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads to arrogance and dissension and all kinds of disorder. Can anybody recognize that wisdom anymore these days? It's chaos right now. Disorder. And we lean in on man's wisdom and there's all kinds of trouble that comes with that. But godly wisdom leads to humility and goodness and peace. And that is what James is emphasizing. Now, if you want to look up the word wisdom and, and say, I want to see the word wisdom throughout the Bible, it's going to show up hundreds and hundreds of times. 
And so if I sat here today and said, well, I've got all of them, and so I'm just going to read each of them for us in our four-hour service today, I just want to tell you, you can go home and do a word study, and you'll find all kinds of truth in regards to wisdom. And so what I have for us today is where I feel like the Lord wanted me to go with this, but there's all kinds of verses in regards to godly wisdom. I love this proverb Chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you could do. And it's like, well, duh. Seems a little bit redundant, doesn't that? But getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. I just said there's two kinds of wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. And so if I said, okay, getting worldly wisdom is the wisest thing I could do. Is that what we're trying to say? No. That would not be wise. That'd be foolish. Getting godly wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. And so, I want us to understand how to receive godly wisdom. That's what I want to break down here today. Based on what I see in Scripture... I think there are some things here that will help us to tap in to the wisdom that God can bring into our lives. How many of you need wisdom? Just by show of hands. Yes, me too. In fact, on Friday, I was working on the title for this, and I'm thinking, I don't even know what to title this. Normally, they just come to me, and they're in, and we're good to go. And Donna was trying to get the bulletin printed, And I said, well, I'll do a couple things. I'll come back and I'll have a title for you. And I literally walked from the threshold of the office and I walked away and I said, Lord, I need wisdom. And as I was walking, I said, that's it. That's the title. Because I don't know how many times I've prayed a prayer like that. How many of you have prayed a prayer like that? Lord, I need wisdom. And I think there's an understanding here of how we can attain this. And so let's walk through this. The first aspect of attaining godly wisdom, first thing, is fear of God. A fear of God. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. That's the foundation we work from. Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. A healthy fear of God will bring wisdom into your life. That awe, that respect, that realization that He is so much bigger than me and I ought to pay attention to what it is that He wants to do. I should not puff myself up to the point where I think I can be my own God. And I've shrunk him down to the point where I don't want him involved in my life. I'm just fine. And we live in a world that lacks a healthy fear of God. And I think that's where you see all the chaos and disorder taking place. People feel like they don't have to answer to God. Or they're in for a a rude awakening if they don't wake up right now and realize how big, how powerful, and how serious God really is. 
And so we need to understand that step one for godly wisdom is a fear of God, a recognition of He is so much bigger than I am. He is awesome. I am unholy. And He is holy. And I want to respect Him. And so by that posture, just simply right there, you're tapping into godly wisdom. Lord, help us to be people who fear You. The next aspect of godly wisdom is the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Bible says when you're born again, the Spirit comes and changes your heart. The Bible says that if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. God does a heart transplant in you. He takes that stony, hard heart, removes it, and replaces it with a heart that's responsive to Him. And in that heart is the presence of Jesus and His Spirit. And if there's the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there is wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.24, the Bible says that Christ is the power of God and He's the wisdom of God. Verse 30, the Bible says, For our benefit God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. And also in Colossians 2, verse 3, In Jesus lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The presence of Jesus, there's wisdom. But also the presence of His Spirit. Isaiah 11, verse 2, and Ephesians 1, verse 17. References to the Spirit of wisdom. And so if I want wisdom in my life, First, I need to fear God. I need to recognize that I need Him. And then one of the things that God has done for us is He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty and the price for our sin that we could be redeemed and given new life in Christ. And when we receive that salvation and His presence, godly wisdom takes another step. And we have His presence Wherever we go, in every situation, whether I'm walking from the threshold of an office door and I turn around and say, Lord, I need wisdom, or if I'm standing at the threshold of a very difficult situation and I have no idea how to work my way through this, Lord, I need wisdom. You have the presence of Jesus. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you are saved... God is allowing you to tap into that. Because Jesus is wisdom itself. And the Spirit is even called the Spirit of Wisdom. The last point here, this is kind of a dividing line. Okay? Because you can be saved and you can be living unwisely. I'm saved and I've made unwise decisions. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're walking wisely. The last point here for attaining godly wisdom is the application of Scripture. Some people say that wisdom is knowledge applied. And I understand that, but 
Here's the reality. There is all kinds of knowledge in our world today. And I can take the wrong knowledge and begin to apply it into my life. Does that mean it's wise? No. And so this is where we have to separate that out a little bit. We need to apply the Scriptures. We can pack a whole lot of Scripture in our head, but if we're not applying it, we can make terrible decisions. We can live foolishly even as believers in Jesus and carrying in us what the Scripture says is wisdom. So are we applying the Scriptures into our life? You can have all the money in the world and still be foolish. You can have hundreds of degrees and have all this education and still be somebody who's not wise. And with all due respect to the elders in this room, you can be in retirement age and older, and you can still be unwise. So just age and experience doesn't make you wise. What makes you wise is the application of Scripture. Solomon, someone mentioned in the Old Testament, is considered to be one of the wisest men that ever walked the earth besides Jesus, whose wisdom itself... But later in Solomon's life, he was not making wise decisions. You have to apply what God is saying in the Scriptures. Some of the wisest people that I personally know are the ones who are applying the Scripture into their life. And I think you could probably say the same thing. Folks, the key to godly wisdom is faith. Is faith. And I kind of want to explain this a little bit. But there's all kinds of knowledge, there's all kinds of information, and all of that can fall under the two categories of wisdom. Godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. At the end of the day, you must choose one by faith. There are all kinds of worldviews, aren't there? And whatever worldview you choose, you're choosing it by faith. I want to share a story with you. Perhaps you've heard this before. But it's in a professor and student conversation and lecture as college classes begin. And the professor has a problem with religion. He says, let me explain the problem that science has with religion. And he's an atheist. He's a professor of philosophy. And before his class, he asks a student, a new student, to stand. The student stands and he says, you're a Christian, aren't you, son? Well, yes, sir, I am. So you believe in God? Well, absolutely. Well, is God good? Sure, God's good. Is God all-powerful? Can, can God do anything? The student says, yes. Then the professor asks, are you good or evil? Well, the Bible says that I'm evil. Well, the professor grins knowingly. He says, aha, the Bible. 
He considers for a moment. Here's one for you. Let's say there's a sick person over here and you can cure him. You can do it. Would you help? Would you at least try? Well, yes, sir, I would. So you're good. I wouldn't say that. Well, why not? You'd help a sick and maimed person if you could, right? Most of us would if we could, but God doesn't. The student does not answer, so the professor continues. He doesn't, does he? My brother was a Christian who died of cancer, even though he prayed to Jesus to heal him. How is this Jesus good? Can you answer that one, student? Well, the student remains silent. He says, no, you can't, can you? Says the professor. He takes a sip of water from the glass that's on his desk, and he gives the student a little bit of time to relax. Let's start again, young fella. Is God good? Uh, yes, the student says. Is Satan good? The student doesn't hesitate on this one. No, he's not. Then where does Satan come from? The student falters a little bit and he says, well, from God. That's right. God made Satan, didn't he? Now tell me, son, is there evil in this world? Well, yes, sir. Evil's everywhere, isn't it? And God did make everything, correct? Yes. Well, then who created evil? If God created everything, then God created evil since evil exists. And according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. Again, the student has no answer. Is there sickness? Immorality, hatred, ugliness, all these terrible things, do they exist in this world? Now the student squirms on his feet and says, yes. So who created them? The student does not answer again, so the professor repeats his question. Who created them? There's still no answer. Now suddenly the lecturer breaks away to pace in front of the classroom Tell me, as he continues on to another student, do you believe in Jesus Christ? The student's voice betrays him a little bit and cracks, but he says, yes, professor, I do. The old man stops pacing. Science says you have five senses that you uh, use to observe and identify the world around you. Have you ever seen Jesus? Well, no, sir, I haven't seen Him. Then tell us, have you ever heard your Jesus? Well, no, sir, I have not. Have you ever felt your Jesus or tasted your Jesus or smelled your Jesus? Have you ever had any sensory perception of Jesus Christ or for God, for that matter? Well, no, sir, I'm afraid that I've not. Yet you still believe in Him? Well, yes, I do. Well, according to the rules of the empirical, testable, demonstrable protocol, 
science says that your God does not exist. What do you say to that, son? Nothing, the student replies. I only have my faith. Yes, faith, the professor repeats, and that is the problem that science has with God. There is no evidence, only faith. The student stands quietly for a moment before asking a question of his own. Professor, is there such a thing as heat? Well, yes. And is there such a thing as cold? Well, yes, son, there's cold too. Well, no, sir, there isn't. The professor turns to face the student, obviously interested. And the room suddenly becomes quiet, and the student begins to explain. You can have lots of heat. Even more heat. Super heat. Mega heat. Unlimited heat. White heat. A little heat or no heat. But we don't have anything called cold. We can hit all the way down to 458 degrees below zero, which is no heat. But we can't go any further than that. There is no such thing as cold. Otherwise, we would be able to go colder than the lowest of negative 458 degrees. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmits energy. And heat is what makes a body or matter have or transmit energy. Absolute zero is the total absence of heat. You see, sir, cold is only a word we use to describe the absence of heat. We cannot measure cold. Heat can be measured in thermal units because heat is energy. Cold is not the opposite of heat, sir. It's just the absence of heat. There's silence across the room. And the student then asks, What about darkness, professor? Is there such a thing as darkness? Well, yes, the professor replies without hesitation. What is night if it isn't darkness. You're wrong again, sir. Darkness is not something. It's the absence of something. You can have low light, normal light, bright light, flashing light, but if you have no light constantly, you have nothing, and it's called darkness, isn't it? That's the meaning we use to define the word. In reality... Darkness isn't. If it were, you would be able to make darkness darker, now wouldn't you? The professor begins to smile at the student. This is going to be a good semester. So what point are you making, young man? Well, professor, my point is your philosophical premise is flawed to start with, and so your conclusion must also be flawed. The professor's face cannot hide his surprise, and he says, Flawed, can you explain how? Well, you're working on the premise of duality. You argue that there is life and then there's death, a good God and a bad God. You are viewing the concept of God as something finite, something that we can measure, 
Sir, science can't even explain a thought. It uses electricity and magnetism, but has never seen, much less fully understood, either one. To view death as the opposite of life is to be ignorant of the fact that death cannot exist as a substantive thing. Death is not the opposite of life, just the absence of it. Now tell me, professor, do you teach your students that they've evolved from a monkey? Well, if you're referring to the natural evolutionary process, young man, yes, of course, I do. Have you ever observed evolution with your own eyes, sir? The professor begins to shake his head, smiling, and he realizes where this argument is about to go. This is going to be a good semester. Since no one has ever observed the process of evolution at work and cannot even prove that this process is an ongoing endeavor, are you not teaching your opinion, sir? Are you now not a scientist, but a preacher? The class now is in an uproar. To continue the point you were making earlier to the other student, let me give you an example of what I mean. Is there anyone in the class who's ever seen this professor's brain? Is there anyone here who's ever heard the professor's brain? You've ever felt the professor's brain? You've touched or you've smelled his brain? No one appears to have done so. So according to the established rules of the empirical, stable, demonstrable protocol, science says that you have no brain. And with all due respect, sir, if science says you have no brain, how can we trust your lectures? The room is now silent. And finally, after what seemed like an eternity, the old man answers, I guess you'll have to take them on faith. Now you accept that there is faith, and in fact, faith exists with life. So the student continues, Now, sir, is there such a thing as evil? Now uncertain, the professor responds, Of course there is. We see it every day. It is in the daily example of man's inhumanity to man. It's in the multitude of crime and violence everywhere that you see in the world. These manifestations are nothing else but evil. Well, to this the student replied, Evil does not exist, sir, or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness and cold, a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is the result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. It's like the cold that comes when there's no heat or the darkness that comes when there is no light. The, pe the professor then sat down. Some folks say that the student in this particular story was Albert Einstein, someone who wrote the book titled God Versus Science in 1921. Regardless of who this was, this story illustrates that wisdom, whether worldly or godly, it comes down to faith. Either faith in the world 
or faith in God. And I just want to help us to understand that wisdom calls out to us. The Bible mentions that in Proverbs 8. And you'll see this here. As wisdom calls, she says, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. Listen to me. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth, and I detest every kind of deception. And in Proverbs 1, you see what happens when people either respond to that call or ignore that call. It says, simpletons turn away from me to death. But all who listen to me will live in peace. So let's talk through a response here today. That prayer, I need wisdom. Okay, earlier in this series, we unpacked James 1, verse 5. <clears throat> if any of you lacks wisdom, what's one of the first things we can do? We ask God, Lord, I need wisdom. Would you please give me wisdom? But let's just do some self Reflecting here, is there any of those areas that need development? A healthier fear of God? A greater recognition of God's presence in your life through Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Or perhaps a greater application of the Scriptures? Where do you feel you're at in regards to God's wisdom? Are you drawing from His Word and trying to apply His Word into your life? I feel like that's an area where a lot of believers trip and fall. They're saved, but they're really not living according to the Word. I think that's a great challenge for all of us, no matter where we're at in our walk. You can be a believer. You can be somebody who's looked at it being wise. And you can be well off in years and then begin to stop applying the Scriptures and start living foolish. So where are we all at? It's possible there's folks listening right now that you don't know if you have the presence of Jesus. That's got to be settled. If you want true wisdom in your life, you need Him. And He invites you into a relationship with Him. The Bible calls wisdom a gift. And God gives it to us. Generously, as it says in James 1, verse 5. And so we ask Him for wisdom. Not the worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. It's my prayer that today's message was a blessing and that we can all lean in and find areas in which we can grow in godly wisdom. We're going to sing together a song here that's entitled, Be Thou My Vision, and it's very similar to that prayer. Lord, I need Your wisdom. I need You to guide me. I need You to lead me. And we're going to sing that together, but before we do, I want to lead us now in a prayer of response to what it is that He brought to us today in the Word. So would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. We want to grow in godly wisdom. Lord, help us to have a healthier fear of you. That awe, that wonderment, that respect, that recognition that you deserve. Help us to elevate you and not ourselves. Lord, it's important to have the presence of Jesus and the Spirit of God. It's possible there's someone listening right now that lacks wisdom because they lack salvation that is found in Jesus. And if you desire to have Him come and redeem your life today, I want to lead you right now in prayer to receive Him. Simply pray with me, Lord Jesus, I need You. I'd ask that You would forgive me of my sin that separates me from You. Wipe me clean. Make me a new person and come and live in my life. And with Your presence in my life, help me to live from You. From that place of salvation, help me to live in the outflow of having You in my life. Thank You for this gift of salvation that I receive today by grace through faith. Lord, for all of us in response today, help us to be people who apply the Scriptures into our life. In order to know what those Scriptures are, it means we've got to be spending time in the Scriptures. So help us to be diligent in that. Forgive us when we fall short. But Lord, help us to see it as not just I'm reading, I'm checking this box, but that we're spending time with You and we're drawing from You. Give us the courage to apply these things. And just as You said, for those who hear My words and put them into practice, You're like a wise person who builds their house upon the rock. Help us to be people who are building on the right foundation. We thank you for this, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.